Hey, this is Zach Bob from Crowdfund Genius, and you're listening to Joe Crane, the brilliant mind behind Veteran on the Move, the one-stop shop to get from the military to entrepreneurship. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Now's a great time to join Navy Federal, especially if you have a large credit card balance after the holidays. Let Navy Federal Credit Union help you rebalance your priorities. For more information, visit NavyFederal.org. All right, today we're talking with Marine Veteran Jay Hodge from Jay Hodge & Associates, which is a uh, lean operations consulting company. Jay, before we get to talking about your vast experience in the corporate world after you got out of the Marine Corps, take us back and tell us what you did in the Marine Corps. All right, Joe, well, and thank you for having me on today. Um, I was an avionics, electronics, weapon systems technician for FA-18 um, aircraft, so uh, uh, I got to have some fun. I know uh, there's a bunch of people out there, even Marines, thinking, oh, you were air wing. So, yeah, I was air wing, you know. Um, so I worked on the uh, the special weapon systems, you know, the flares, the, the missiles, the navigation, communication systems. And uh, I was the guy that everybody made fun of because, you know, you're air winger. But, you know, the interesting thing about air wing is uh, they all make fun of us until they needed some air support. And then we were their best friends. So it's OK. That's right. We don't you know how they always rotate sergeant majors around, you know, like. Yeah. When, when, like a lot of people don't realize, like you can become a sergeant major pretty young and then you just go from sergeant major job to sergeant major job. At, mm-hmm. They try to run you through the ground side, the logistics side, the aviation side. And then you go from smaller unit up to bigger unit over the years. Mm-hmm. But uh, we had a sergeant major one time who'd been around his whole life. And he's like, you know, we always make fun of the air wing. But I tell you what, you guys sure do work a lot. You guys are always busy. <laughs> Trying to keep There's no doubt. In the air. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, you guys may not PT as much as we do, but you sure do work a lot. <laughs> yes, for sure. You drive him nuts. Oh, yeah. He couldn't just walk through, walk throughout the squadron and start tasking people with things. It's our major man. He's he's fixing that engine. You can't, <laughs> you can't get in the middle of that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, uh, so talk to us about your transition out of the Marine Corps, and you you ended up working for a number of uh, big companies in the civilian sector after that. I did. So, um, so I spent five years um, with with the the MOS I was in. You had to do a five year commitment because the training took so long. Um, you know, my last two and a half years, I was in Washington, D.C. at Andrews Air Force Base, which was kind of an interesting experience being in between a couple Air Force squadrons. Um, we got along OK, but, you know, we had fun with them. Let's just say that. Um, but it was it was interesting because, uh, you know, I realized about a year before the end of my fifth year that, that I wasn't going to be re-upping. Um, and so it was kind of a kind of a weird transition because then you have to start preparing. And, you know, most of my training, I went from, from high school to a year of college into the Marine Corps. And uh, it was a weird transition, not a weird transition. It was an interesting transition, but it was kind of nervous. It made me kind of nervous because most of my training came from the Marine Corps, you know, um, a year or more of training. 
and trying to figure out what I wanted to do when I get out. So I loved air, airport operations, aircraft operations, but I didn't think that was something that I that I wanted to do for the rest of my career. And uh, I actually tested and trained for a, as an air traffic controller um, before I got out and I tested with the FAA and I did really well, but that's when President Clinton came back in and uh, reinserted all of the air traffic controllers that President Reagan had let go because they had gone on strike. So there was that possibility. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that was that was kind of disheartening. Uh, when I got out of the Marines, um, I had a wife and two kids. Um, the transition was weird because you go from a situation where everybody's on the same team, you're all pointed in the same direction. And, you know, what I try and p- tell people in the corporate environment is that you know, just because you're in a squadron with a bunch of other Marines doesn't mean you like every single one of them. You have personal differences. But the difference is, is that you take a bullet for any one of them and you you jump into the to a corporate world and it's and it's it's not the same. So I I struggled for a while with the uh, with the rigidity of the schedule, with knowing what our objective was, knowing what our goal was, all being on the same page. I ended up becoming a deputy in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I did that for a little less than a year and realized that I wanted to finish my degree. And so, you know, I I give the Marine Corps a lot of credit for the fact that it it created a a level of determination and a a level of, you know what, I've got to do this. It's going to be hard. It's going to take three, three and a half years with a wife, two kids, a dog living in a 576 square foot apartment. Um, but that's nothing compared to some of the stuff we did in the Marines. So we could do it. And, um, you know, my wife and I, um, and two kids, we, we did, we lived in Laramie, Wyoming for three, three and a half years in a small apartment, getting me through school. And, uh, it was absolutely worth it. It was difficult at times. We had nothing. Um, my wife and I used to put the kids to bed and go get a couple crunchy tacos and that would be our date night. We'd sit in front of the TV and watch a, an old movie or something. That was date night. That's all the money we had. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the Marine Corps prepared me for that. And I give the Marine Corps a lot of credit because just because something's hard doesn't mean it's worth, it's not worth doing. And it, the interesting thing is that delayed gratification is something that, that I think the Marine Corps taught me is, you know, it takes a while to get good at anything. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of determination. It takes a lot of pain, to be honest, um, to get good at anything. But working through it, the uh, and just being, just having the perspective that I know that I'm three years away from graduating college, but I know that once I graduate college, or I know that once I graduate this trade school, or once I complete this certification, I'm in a whole different world, and I'm going pointed in the direction I want to go. Um, I give the Marine Corps a lot of credit for getting that mindset in my mind. So it was an interesting transition. Yeah, that's awesome. So after you finished your degree, what was what were some of the first steps um, in, in the civilian world as far as were you actually still working somewhat um, when you're in school? And then what what changed when you finally graduated? Yeah, I was in the I was in the uh, um, Army National Guard for the three years while I was in college, so I still participated and was as drilling and all that. And I had a part time job, and my wife worked part time. Um, but I think you know the weirdest thing when I transitioned was is that the the going from a military background to a civilian background 
this isn't a negative comment, but I had to understand that 99% of the people I was working with didn't have that military background, didn't have that level of, of um, not dedication and loyalty, but that level of determination. Um, you know, in the Marine Corps, you didn't complain about anything because complaining didn't do any good. Mm-hmm. You get into a, a civilian world, um, sometimes you hear a lot of complaining and, and, you know, it took me a while to realize that um, sometimes I had to look past that because uh, a lot of the people that I worked with, they didn't have the same background. Um, getting everybody, understanding that everybody's not pointing in the same direction was tough for me. And I've talked with a lot of, a lot of military people who, who have struggled with the exact same thing as, you know, you go to work and you've got a, you've got a mission in the in the military you've got a mission this is what we're going to accomplish in in the civilian life you find that there's there's a thousand missions because you know as individuals i've i want to go here and i want to go there and i want to go there and i want to go there whereas in the military we're, we're all going here period um and it took a while for me to understand that but you know the interesting thing is once i understood that um it allowed me to kind of open my mind and realize that just because everybody's not in the military or doesn't have military experience doesn't mean that they don't have the same desires and passions about what they do. And it just, it was just um, built a little different, I guess, in their minds. Right. Yeah. That's a great observation. Well, hold, hold that thoughts for a second, Jay. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, listen up. If you're an active duty service member, veteran, DOD, civilian, or military family member, you can join Navy Federal. That means if you've served in any branch of the military, doesn't have to be just the Navy. Could be Army, Marine Corps, Air Force, or Coast Guard. You can join Navy Federal Credit Union. On average, Navy Federal members earn and save $361 more per year. You could pay no fees, get low rates, and rate discounts, plus earn cash back and grow your savings. Navy Federal puts members first by helping them save money. Make money and enjoy peace of mind and security through personalized around-the-clock service. Plus, now's a great time to join. Have a large credit card balance after the holidays? Let Navy Federal Credit Union help you rebalance your priorities. Make a plan to do away with high-interest credit card debt by transferring your balance to a Navy Federal Credit Card. With a low intro APR and no balance transfer fees, you can pick the right card to help you take back control. Visit NavyFederal.org, Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, dollar value of Navy Federal's 2019 member give back survey, 5.99 to 18% of variable APRs based on product type and credit worthiness. Up to $1 cash advance transaction fee at non-Navy Federal ATMs. Hey, back talking with uh, Marine veteran Jay Hodge, Jay Hodge Associates. So Jay, uh, before the break, you and your wife and your kids, you'd made it through college um, as a, you know, somebody got out of the Marine Corps and working for the Army Guard uh, in the meantime to make ends meet. What were, what was your first big boy job uh, with the big new fancy college degree? Well, I wouldn't call it big and fancy because I was a brand new college graduate. <laughs> so you start where everybody else starts. Um you know, I, I left college and started working for Ford Finance, but I wouldn't consider them my, my first um, job that kind of defined my career. I think the first job that defined my career is um, we moved back to Indiana and I took a position as a as a branch manager for a company called Valon Safety Supply. And uh, 
that quickly turned into about six months later, a regional manager position. I think that was probably my first role um, that started to define my career. My passion is operations, always has been. You know, you look at the aircraft operations, man, it is nonstop, go, go, go. I was on aircraft carrier for, for six weeks. Man, you talk about nonstop, it is nonstop. And you are always at the edge just to make sure you're aware. But I love operations. I love the complexity of operations, how everything works together. And that was really, I guess, the beginning. Um, and it allowed me, it put me into a position where I could use the leadership training from the Marine Corps. Um, and use it with people that hadn't been in the military. And it was a, it was kind of a, it was a change in thinking because, you know, I got out as a corporal, but even as a corporal, you know, you've got this group of people that you're directing um, on, on second shift or third shift, first shift, whatever. And you say, this is what we need to do. Let's do it, do it. People just do it. In the civilian world, people want to understand why a lot more. In the Marine Corps, do it, it's done. In a civilian world, you know, you have to you have to motivate, you have to engage people, you have to help them understand the big picture. Um, because someone who's you know doing a clerical job or someone who's working in the warehouse, they see that this is my world, this is all I do. But as a leader, one of our jobs or my job um, was to help them understand that how your your role impacts the world, impacts everything that we do as an organization. Um, so I would consider that one my first real leadership um career development um job and i enjoyed it immensely yeah i mean the, the military certainly does not have a monopoly on leadership by any means but no i think the military puts more time energy and training and money into emphasizing leadership on a daily basis like especially in the yes. marine corps and operational areas of the marine corps it's it's lead, 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 leadership. It's just like sometimes that's the only thing you ever talk about is leadership. Sometimes you actually get sick of hearing it. Um, right. And it, I mean, it's just drilled into you all the time, everything in in your day-to-day routine and constantly, constant, phenomenally great reminders of leadership. And yep. sometimes we learn more from bad leadership than we do from good leadership in you know, like not every leader in the Marine Corps is great by any means. And I, I probably learned more from bad leadership than I did from good, but nonetheless, there's that constant emphasis, that constant focus all the way down to the PFC level of you need to lead your right. Marines. You need to lead. And in the civilian sector, um, civilians, everybody recognizes good leadership, regardless of whether you're in the military or you're, you spent your time on the civilian side, everybody recognizes good leadership really quick. So right. the definition of leadership is no different on, on the military side versus the civilian side. We tend to lead with a lot more sticks in the, in the military than we do carrots. And then the civilian, it's, you're constantly dangling carrots as, as, but it, it's still leadership. You know, you know leadership yeah. is, um, doing what doing what needs to be done in order to get the job done and so if you gotta pull out pull out a bag of carrots on the civilian side then that's what you do so um as as you progressed through your through civilian career talk a little bit about some of the other companies you worked for and how you started to adapt uh your military experience into the civilian world Sure. So um, I went from Valon Safety Supply, I took a, uh, a leadership role at General Motors on the production side in a, 
um, Marion, Indiana, a metal fabrication plant. I was a shift supervisor. And, uh, um, you know, it's interesting because you go from the, the military side where people do what you say because you said to do it to working for General Motors, which is a union side, a union environment, which is a whole new aspect of the civilian lifestyle or civilian um, um, perspective because then you become you know the unions are known for being very difficult and what i found is that unions are just made up of of people a lot of people that want to do a really good job and helping them understand you know how important they are to the organization is actually a really effective way to getting them to become engaged um so general motors was great for me simply because it it forced me to understand how people think and how people operate. Because, um, like I said, at the base level, almost every human being wants to be successful at what they do, whether union, whether they're not union, whether manufacturing, whether they're healthcare, um, whether they're military, whether they're some, doing some civilian job. Um, they want to be successful at what they do. There's an internal pride. It comes with being successful at, at, at what you do. And what I've found is that when people find what they're passionate about, they tend to be much more successful. Um, and I think that's why, um, you know, I've, I've been blessed. Any success that, I, that I've had, I give to God and I give to my wife and family um, simply because without their support, I wouldn't be successful. But I've, I think some of the success that I've seen in my career is because I've found what I'm passionate about. And I think that's almost that's almost the pinnacle. You find what you're passionate about, and you'll work the long hours. You'll work through the pain and the suffering. You'll 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 do whatever it takes to 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 be quote unquote successful. Yeah, and so with a uh, with a lean consulting company, obviously in, in operations, you you got into lean. You were involved in lean manufacturing. And eventually got out into the consulting business. What's lean all about? I mean, we've most of, most of us have heard about it, but what is what is operating in a lean way truly all about, and where does that come from? That's a great question because a lot of people misunderstand lean. So I spent years at Toyota. So what's weird is when I left General Motors, I was teaching General Motors the Toyota production system, and then. I went to work for Toyota, so hey, worked out well. Um, but lean is 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 a mistaken um, perception that lean is about reducing waste in a process, and it is. Um, and when we talk about processes, uh, I'm not talking about manufacturing. I'm not talking about healthcare. I'm not talking about military. I'm talking about processes. When I talk about processes, it applies to everything. Because um, name one thing that's not a process. You can't. Mm -hmm. Everything we do is a process. Thinking about what's not a process is a process. This podcast is a process. Listening to this podcast is a process. If you're in the military and you're thinking about what you want to do in six months when you get out, that's a process. Going to college is a process. Everything we do is a process. So when you look at lean, lean is about understanding the processes and reducing the waste, but reducing the waste to increase the value that we derive or provide to our patients or customers. Um, you know, Toyota, their objective is not to be number one in the industry. Their objective is to produce 
the best car, which makes you, as the consumer, want to buy a Toyota every time you buy a car. It's not about producing the car. It's about producing a car that creates loyalty so that you buy the car the next time. And so that's really what lean is about, and it applies to everything we do. It, it's kind of like if you take a piece of steak or you go to the supermarket and you buy steak and you buy uh, this packet and it's got four steaks in it. The, you get home, you take the steaks off, the first steak looks great. The little second steak's got a little more fat. You get down to the fourth steak, it's got this huge vein of fat on it. Well, you paid for that fat. There's no value in that fat whatsoever, so you're probably not real happy. And they put it on the fourth level so you wouldn't see it on purpose. So you're not happy about the fat. There's no value in the fat unless you like to eat fat, which isn't real healthy. But, you know, hey, everyone has their own. So that's really what Lean is about. It's about understanding our processes and, and designing them so that they produce the most value possible. Yeah, that's awesome. So. Talk about how you were able to get into the consulting business and how you started uh, started from there because that's really where your entrepreneurial venture begins is where you went out on your own as a consultant. It, it is. Um, so when I left Toyota, um, you know, once you have the Toyota um, name on your resume, you kind of, you become somewhat of a commodity because everyone understands Toyota is Toyota and they want to implement it, you know, whether it's in healthcare, Caterpillar called me and they asked me if I would come help them um, implement like the Toyota production system in their supply base because what Caterpillar realized is that they could become as good as they possibly could. But if they could take their suppliers and help them become even better, it made Caterpillar better, a better company. And so I started to work for Caterpillar and then I got a call, um, from a friend who was working in healthcare. And anybody listening to this knows that healthcare has a bunch of opportunities out there to get better. If you've ever sat in a waiting room for 35 minutes, waiting for an appointment that took five minutes, you realize that the 35 minutes of waiting in the, in the, uh, in the waiting room had no value whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I went to work for healthcare and the opportunities are endless. Um, so I've been working in the healthcare and both manufacturing for the last five years. I started my company five years ago simply because, like I said before, lean is my passion. Um, helping companies improve is my passion. Walking in and, and helping a leader understand what real leadership looks like and how to use it and how to understand and how to engage and motivate and inspire their people to go from average to above average to go from ordinary to extraordinary. That's my passion. Uh, if you look in my office, you're not going to see a bunch of trophies and plaques that people have given me. That's not what it, for me, it's, it's not what it's about. My passion is getting a call two years down the road from, from a, a, a brand new VP who said, hey man, I just took a, it went from a director to a VP role and I wanted to thank you because you are a part of that. For me, that's the trophies and they're not something you put on the wall. There's something in, inside of here. Because that's 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 success for me, to be honest. So, what are the, some of the, some of the things you first do when you start talking with a, a new client on trying to implement lean into their business processes? The very first thing I do with any company is I sit down with the CEO and president, and and I, I make a bold statement. I said, "We're going to do this," and I ask them, "What do you where do you want to go? This is where you are." But tell me where you want to go, because if you haven't identified what you want to look like one year, five year, 10 years from now, I can't help you get there if you don't know where you want to go. Um, so I always ask them, where do you want to go? 
And, and then I say specifically, are you willing to be part of this? And the reason I have this conversation is because a lot of leaders out there, not good leaders, let me emphasize that, will say, I want us to go from here to there, and I want to delegate it to someone for someone to get us there. I'm like, it, that doesn't work. It, it won't work. If you look at a ship, um, a ship has one captain, and the captain says, we're going in that direction right there. The, the XO and everybody else can say, well, I really like to go over there, but the captain says, we're going there. So if, if the CEO or president in a company is not willing to be part of the, of the transformation, whether it be a cultural or operational, um, if they're not willing to be part of that transformation and be involved in it on a daily basis, I won't even, I won't take the engagement. I won't work with them because I know that if a CEO is here, I've got five or six senior leaders under them. And if they're not following a direction that that person gives them, then I'm going to have an entire organization going in five different directions. So that's the very first place I start with any company. Is it pretty common to get pushback from some of the lower level leadership uh, on, on down to any, any of the folks you end up interacting with? And it's not uncommon at all. And the reason it's not uncommon is because um, of what everybody has probably referred to or heard the flavor of the month. Um, you know, this, this year comes out, we throw some new banners on the wall. We throw out some handouts, we shoot out some emails and all of a sudden we're excited about what we're going to do this year. It's, it's different than last year. It's going to be different. We don't know why it's going to be different, but it's going to be different because the colors are different and the slogan's different. Um, and so the reason that I get pushback is because people become accustomed to every year, every two year, we have a different initiative and they know that this initiative is going to get washed away with the next group of leadership or or with the next level of motivation or or next time they plateau and we can't figure out how to get to that next level well we let's try a different initi initiative and so they know that if they just live life and kind of kind of jump on board um that it'll go away away pretty soon so it's not as much pushback as it is engagement and belief. And, you know, you can't really, you know, in the, in the Marines, um, in the Marines, they motivated us, Semper Fi, the few, the proud. I mean, we, you know, we're Marines. We're willing to walk into the, the face of battle because we're Marines. That's what we do. And there's, you're inspired. Um, you know, you wear the dress blues and face it. Ain't nothing looking much better than a, than a Marine in dress blues. Um, and it's pretty motivating. Um, uh -uh. So you have to figure out how to do that in a, in a, in a leadership environment in a large scale company with, where you've got thousands of people that have their own idea of what success looks like. So what other experiences can you talk with, uh, with us about as far as, uh, what initially breaking into the consulting uh, industry, like when you, you can't just go out on as a consultant tomorrow and all of a sudden have clients. Um, no. Were you able to work into that smoothly while you were still employed or did you just take the jump? Well, I have a very large network. Um, and for some unknown reason, which I still can't figure out, I have a fairly decent reputation. Seriously, I don't know how because I look at myself and I think, oh, my gosh, I would never hire you. But evidently, I've got a decent reputation. Um, 
And so when I made the decision, I was working for a healthcare company and they were going through some transitions. And so I saw the writing on the wall and I said, you know what? And I've had people over the years say, you should start your own company. You should do this for yourself. And I looked at my wife one day and I said, hey, you want to do this? Because if she wasn't on board, I wasn't going to do it because we're a team. We've been married for 33 years and we're still a successful team. And I give her all the credit for that. Um, but no, I made the decision to uh, go and start my own company. And two months later, I had um, my first contract. And it was people that I had um, worked with over the years. And that's that's one of the critical things for me when I look back in retrospect, you know, hindsight is amazing, is that every interaction you have, and this is important for people coming out of the military to understand, is that every interaction you have leaves an impression. And so you may you may have a conversation with someone on a plane, you may have a conversation with someone in the supermarket, um, it's someone at church, someone at the soccer game where your kids are playing soccer. Every interaction leaves an impression, and the impression that you leave is up to you. And so I guess the impression and, and you know, some of my experience and some of historical um, performance um, had carried along. And once I went out on my own, people were like, hey, we would like to have you come work with us. So Let's talk about your, your book, uh, The Lean Treasure Chest. Yes. Oh, you want me to actually talk about it? I wrote it's 386 pages. It's actually, you know, people look at this and think, oh my gosh, that's 386 pages. Believe it or not, it's actually a very easy read. I wrote this book. Um, I kind of alluded it to, a, to it a second ago when I said lean is misunderstood, and it is. Um, lean is applicable in personal lives. It's applicable in healthcare, manufacturing, service industries, absolutely the military. And oh, please, someone from the United States government call me and say we need to implement lean in the government because we really, 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 really do. Um, that one. <laughs> yeah. But, but lean is um, – the reason I wrote the book is so that people would understand that lean applies to everything. You can use it um, to organize your garage. You can use it to organize your finances. Uh, my wife and I have, have, have used lean principles um, to pay for our kids' college. We've used it to plan for retirement. We've used it – I've used it in manufacturing. She uses it in her kitchen and throughout the house. Um, it's about creating an environment of success. And I wrote it so that people, whether you're a CEO – whether you're a director, whether you're a manager, whether you're someone who's doing a podcast, um, whether you're a person who's turning the, the bolts on the vehicle, on the assembly line, the concepts apply to you. And it shows people how to use them in your specific role. So it's not just pointed towards the CEO. It's not just pointed towards the director. It's not just pointed towards the nurse. It's pointed to anybody who does anything because everything's a process. Yeah, that's awesome. So talk to us a little bit about the mechanics of and the discipline required to actually start and finish a book. How much time do we have again? <laughs> Can you sum it up um, in one or two sentences? <laughs> you know what? Um, writing a book, I firmly believe that everybody could write a book. Um, I, I give the Marine Corps credit here again. Um, it took me three years to write the book. Um, I'm actually on my third book. I, I wrote a book 2006 called Photos of Fatherhood. It's about fatherhood. I'm, I just started my third book about a month and a half ago. With writing a book, you have to understand that you have something to add. That doesn't. I, I'm not an expert. I don't think there is such a thing as an expert 
in, in the world because an expert means that you know all there is to know about something. There are no experts, in my opinion. There was only one expert, and that was Jesus. That's just my opinion. Um, but to write a book, you have to be willing to understand that you're going to learn a lot while you write that book. Um, you're going to understand a lot more about what you're writing about when you're done than when you started. Well, that's that great. makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I always like to say hey, every veteran's got a book inside of them somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of Absolutely. It. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you always have to keep your, you have to keep the people that are going to read it. You have to keep thinking about it from their perspective. How could I say this so that it would make more sense to them? And that, that takes a different way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jay, we're getting close to the end of our time here. Uh, I do want to give you the last word. So first of all, where, where can we find your book? I see on Amazon and anywhere else. Great book. Yeah. Sold. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's on Amazon. It's on Audible, Kindle, all those. Okay, great. Um, also, if you're talking to somebody who's still in the military looking to get out and get into entrepreneurship, what kind of advice would you have for them? Find your passion. Find your passion. Understand what your passion is. And don't be afraid to try something and realize that's not your passion. Because it took me three or four different things, attempts to really understand what my passion was. So. Just find your passion. It may take a while, but once you do it, chase it like uh, there's no tomorrow. Awesome. I do have one final question. Since you're a consultant, is Office Space one of your favorite movies? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got my stapler right here. No one's taking it, man. So. <laughs> uh, so did you fire him? No, we just fixed the glitch. <laughs> 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 uh, one of my best friends is a consultant. He watches that movie all the time. It's hilarious. Oh yeah. <laughs> all right. Had to ask. All right, Marine. Appreciate it. We look forward to your future success, and um, hopefully, we'll have you back on the show sometime in the future when you've moved on to your next level. Sounds great. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Thank you for everything you do. Awesome. Appreciate it. Hoorah. Take care. Hoorah. These two Marines are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.